The portal, the beauty, the glimpse. Thank you for making the greatest decision of your life. This is Long Story Short, a podcast by our stories at the University of Utah. We're here to share student stories and update you on all the most important info about the U. I'm your host, Talmadge White, and we're coming at you from sunny Salt Lake City. In this week's news, 20 LDS churches get robbed. College applications are open, as well as graduate schools. And lastly, Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey. In today's episode, we're going into the International Rescue Committee, otherwise known as the IRC, and talking about the refugee community in Salt Lake City. So today we're going to be talking about the International Rescue Committee, oftentimes referred to as the IRC, and um, the many things that they do to help refugees get resettled in the United States. Um, The IRC is kind of the main place really to kind of help refugees in Utah. Um, and it's it's a driving force in Salt Lake City. Um, we even have some places in at the U, right? Like we have a food truck that um, that the IRC helped get started with a spice kitchen um, called Cafe Mamai. And, and yeah, so today we're going to be interviewing Dylan Cole, the volunteer coordinator at the IRC. And yeah, welcome to the podcast, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about what the mission of the IRC is and what the IRC does? Yeah, definitely. So the IRC is overall like a, a massive organization. It um, employs, I think now, 40,000 people around the world. And so there's kind of two aspects to it. There's the international aspect, which is responding to crises when they arise. Um, and so we're present in 40 countries around the world, mainly due to there being conflicts in a lot of countries and a lot of nations around the world. Um, and so that's our external, our international um, mission is to respond to crises and help people um, whose lives have been affected and sometimes destroyed by, by those crises. Um, and then we provide a lot of services overseas, and we also provide the opportunity for certain clients, for certain refugees to be resettled to the United States. We are a resettlement organization, which means we assist clients who have come through the resettlement process, which is an international process set up by the United Nations um, and a lot of other you know, international organizations. Certain clients will be resettled from a refugee camp, from living abroad to the United States. Um, it's a really long, arduous process, like takes most of our clients five to 15 years mm. to get here yeah. um, and a lot of extensive like security checks, background checks, everything like that. Um, but then once they do arrive in the United States, we are a resettlement organization for those folks. So we provide in Salt Lake City specifically, we're really lucky because we have additional funding from the state of Utah. So we provide 12 to 15 months of services mm. to our clients yeah. and just help them get back on their feet, start a new life in the United States. Yeah, great. And how would you say, it seems like Salt Lake City in Utah is mostly a welcoming spot for refugees, right? Like, how would you say that Salt Lake maybe compares to other places? um, Or how does that affect our communities? Yeah, I would say, yeah, we're, we're pretty lucky for the state government being actually very open and like receptive of refugees as well as like the community, the Utah community being open 
and receptive. Like I said, we are able to, in Utah, provide 12 to 15 months of services to our clients. That is yeah. a lot different from most states. Most states are only able to provide nine months of service mm, yeah. to our clients. And the reason that we are able to provide a longer term of programs and services is because the state of Utah funds that. And so right. they directly fund our work to make it easier, to make more programs available for newly arrived refugees and, um, yeah, clients. So Totally, yeah. And I've always thought that was an interesting dynamic in Utah that, you know, Utah can be maybe more of a red state on a lot of issues, but can be very, you know, I remember during the Trump administration, um, you know, a lot of people in the government here were really making a point to be welcoming to both immigrants and refugees, you know, so I didn't even know that the state provided funding for the yeah. 12 to 15 months. So that's, that's amazing. Um, but what are the biggest factors driving displacement around the world, would you say? You mentioned that, you know, f- five to 15 years um, can often be how long it takes, yeah. right, for the whole transition here. Um, so what does the typical refugee journey look like? I mean, it definitely depends upon where you're at, but things driving the displacement, like crisis around the world, like currently, or at the end of 2022, there was 110 million people displaced around the world, which Mm, is a number that just continues to increase, right? It's it's up and to the right on the graph. Um, And, you know, the the main drivers of that that displacement is like conflicts, recent conflicts in Afghanistan and Syria, in Ukraine, driving a surge in displacement right now. But also a lot of those uh, conflicts are, you know, made worse by like the climate crisis. It's actually been it's been included in the mission statement of the IRC. Now, the formal Mm. mission statement is to um, help people whose lives and livelihoods have been destroyed by conflict and disaster, including the climate crisis. Wow. And so, um, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's conflict, it's civil war, it's all those things, but definitely made worse by the climate crisis. Totally. Yeah. Well, and that's something too, right, that's on such a global level. And it seemed, right, the climate crisis, and it seems to be getting worse. So it's like, hey, this is something that we really need to be focusing on, right? Like climate yeah. refugees and and all these different factors, right? So where the refugees you work with um, and the branch in Salt Lake, where would you say most of these refugees are from usually? Yeah. So it's been, it's changed a bit. It's like fluctuated in the last few years because of just like different crises happening, erupting yeah. out of nowhere. So 2022 or 2021, 2022, we had a huge surge of people coming from Afghanistan because there was the fall of the Afghan government. Right. And we resettled 615 Afghan um, Afghan clients in like four months. A wow. very short period of time, resettled a ton of people. Just in Salt Lake. Just in Salt Lake, yeah. Because yeah. as, as we all saw, like people getting airlifted out of the country, they were going to military bases and then were promptly trying to be resettled across the country in different areas. Yeah. So that was 2021, 2022. Um, but that was, it was called the APA response. So um, the Afghan Placement and Assistance response. And that has kind of slowed down now and we're back to kind of our normal, what we would call resettlement and placement process. And through resettlement and placement this year, we are prime. We we have a very large amount of people from the Democratic Republic of Congo coming. Oh wow! Um, that's actually like there. I believe last year it was sixty percent of our clients came from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Do you know why that why that would be? I think once there is 
a community or a network of individuals from a certain place in yeah. a city or in a community. Um, there, there's something called a U.S. tie when someone's being resettled, right? If someone has a U.S. tie, then they will try to be resettled close to that person oh. so that they can be provided additional support beyond just the resettlement organization. Right, there's yeah. like someone there with the lived experience of living in the United States being like, this is how you do this. And it's just it's additional support. Yeah. Um, and so I believe, I couldn't tell you, like, I don't know, 100%, but I think we just have a really healthy community of refugees and new Americans from the Congo. And that is why um, it continues to, like, more people continue to come because they know people here. They know about the community. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. And what does the resettlement process usually look like? Like from day one, right, when a refugee usually – and also it might be good to clarify for the audience – you know, what we mean when we say a refugee as opposed to an immigrant. Can you maybe talk about that? Yeah. So um, the legal definition of a refugee is a person who is fleeing their home because of a well-founded fear of persecution based on on, um, on five categories, based on five categories of discrimination. That is race, um, ethnicity, political opinion, um, protected social group, or religion. I believe mm, for the five. Yeah. I'm pretty a sure. good memory. Yeah, yeah, trying, like, this yeah, is, no, this yeah. is in my volunteer orientation every two weeks. Cool. So yeah. Hoping to recite it all. Um, but yeah, so that is the just it is a person who is fleeing their home because of a well-founded fear of persecution. Yeah. And that is so like, I mean, refugees would typically would would also be considered immigrants then, right? Because yeah, they're coming to right. the United States. But there is in like currently in the news, there's a lot of different coverage about like refugees versus like asylees. Mm. Um, and it's something that like refugees are people with refugee status, right? That's yeah. we try to like separate that. It's still a person. They just have a refugee status. Right. Yeah. An asylum seeker is someone who has asylum status. And really like the difference between refugees and asylum seekers is just in the eyes of the um, immigration system, right? Because generally right. people seeking asylum status are also fleeing their home because of a well-founded fear of persecution. It's just a lot harder to get refugee status. And so they arrive here without status and they have to apply for asylum to not get deported. And mm. so it's like they're treated very differently in the news, but generally all these people are fleeing their homes for the same reasons, oh, right? okay, yeah. It's just one process. The, re- the resettlement process is super long, super intense. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people arrive here not going through that process, and then they have to seek asylum. Oh, wow. So so when the IRC is usually dealing with these different cases, right, mm-hmm. someone seeking, you know, refugee status, asylum seeking, what what is kind of the timeline there usually? Yeah. What, what are the kind of the main steps to be taken? So for resettlement, that's the one that we deal with the most, right? Those are our, like our core services are for resettlement clients, and those are people with refugee status. Okay, and so yeah. these are people that have – been displaced from their home overseas. They have registered with the United Nations High Commission on Refugees, generally at like an international border crossing at a refugee camp, something like that. And the UNHCR certifies that like they are fleeing their home because of that well-founded fear of persecution, right? Yeah. Make sure that like the story is is true. Um, then they refer that information over to the United States and the United States starts the process of background checks and security clearances and everything like that. And so once the United States has the information, the first the first step is like a background check, but that's like it's not like any background checks we've ever done. It's like some of those processes right. are like two to three years to get this background mm. check completed. Um, really intense, really arduous about like where have you lived, who do you know, what all your addresses, um, 
And so if they clear that, then they go, they have to meet with the, a member of the United States government, like a representative of the U.S. government, generally at a consulate or an embassy. So that could be hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. So that means this person has to then travel to the consulate, speak with a representative of the U.S. government in person, mm. and they are pretty much just asking you questions about the information you provided on your background check, your security um, security check, and just seeing if the story that you told the UNHCR is the same story you're hearing now yeah. and looking for any differences that they could then say you are not being truthful and therefore you are denied access wow. or like you are denied um, – your application for resettlement is denied. Does um, that happen often, would you say? Yeah, it happens. Oh, wow. And it's, it's really – the U.S. government doesn't necessarily need to give a – an, ex- an extensive reasoning, right, for right. why they've rejected that. So a lot of people do get rejected um, through this process for, for like, sometimes vague reasons, sometimes specific reasons. It, it always um, – y- you never really know. Right. But if they do their in-person interview, they clear their background check, they have to do a medical screening every six months. So you have to be screened for communicable diseases every six months. Mm. It doesn't mean that, like, if you test positive for, like, tuberculosis, you can't come to the United States. It just means – you have to receive treatment overseas. And then it's also helpful for organizations like the IRC to know when you arrive, okay, this person is going to need these treatments for this condition that they have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then that's the final step. If you get the call and say, all right, you've, you're, we've cleared you, show us your medical screening, you show the medical screening, then they get matched with a sponsor agency, okay. which is um, like the International Rescue Committee's yeah. sponsor agency. There's, I believe, 10 or 11 in the nation. In Utah, there are three. There's the International Rescue Committee. There's Catholic Community Services. And then there's a new one that just started up in Cache Valley that I okay. can't remember their name. But we are the biggest. And then right. we do between 500 and 600 resettlement cases a year. And then um, CCS, Catholic Community Services, does like 400 to 500. Oh, wow. Yeah. So would you say that about how many refugees would you say usually come to Utah each year? About a thousand. About is a what thousand. It is generally, yeah. That's interesting. So, and then, so what are some of the other biggest common barriers and challenges that refugees face once they get resettled? Right, because you talked about the, you know, the possibility of getting rejected from mm-hmm. resettlement in general, right? Yeah. Um, if someone can get resettled, what are the biggest barriers they might face? Yeah, the biggest thing that we're facing now is the same as most people are facing, which is housing prices Yeah, and finding um, affordable housing for clients that are going to be starting out at very entry-level jobs, right? Yeah. And this could be a family. We have families up to like 12, 10 or 12 people that are arriving. And so oh, wow. expecting a, you know, a single family member or even two family members who are working entry-level jobs to be able to pay rent for a house that can shelter 10 people is yeah. completely unrealistic. Yeah. And the, definitely the biggest challenge we face. Um, so yeah, that, that was like far and above everyone, every IRC officer around the country is trying to figure out and tra- trying to grapple with that right now of how do we find sustainable housing for our clients without completely depleting our budgets. Yeah, um, right. Because it's, it's, it's been way more than we expected this year. But mm-hmm. Yeah, out of outside of that, I think you know finding employment is difficult. Um, I think learning to navigate the city can be really hard with like mass transit. Um, our mass yeah. transit system sometimes our clients, because again the housing issues have to be. We find homes for them pretty far out of the city, so like Bountiful or like further south. They're not super close to our office, so then navigating to our office can be difficult. 
Just because um, Salt Lake's so expensive, would you say? Yeah, because yeah. it's so expensive down like downtown and close to it. We have to go further and further away right. to find affordable housing. Um, but yeah, I can't really speak to all those. You know, from our end, it's really right. like the housing issues. But for the clients and themselves, I think each each individual you know has their own process that they go through when they arrive. Yeah. at. Um, some people have it easier than others. Some people have a really hard time. So yeah, totally depends on their experience and their yeah their comfort right. when they arrive. Totally. So tell me a little bit more about what you do at the IRC. What is yeah. what do you do day to day, and mm-hmm. how did you get involved? Yeah, so I'm the volunteer coordinator. Um, I've been at the IRC for a year and eight months now or something like that. Yeah. Um, I went to the University of Utah, actually. I graduated oh, in 2019. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I heard about the IRC when I was in college, but didn't ever do any volunteering or anything like that. Um, after school, I left and did seasonal work for fun. You know, took a few years to um, just you know, mess around. And then I was looking, I was tired of applying for jobs every six months. And so, um, and most of my friends are still here in Salt Lake. So I found this job. I had worked on political campaigns with volunteers. And so that's why I felt like it'd be a good fit Applied for this job. Got it. Um, And yeah, I've been here for, for that, for that year and eight months now. But in my position, I work with volunteers. Um, So individual volunteers, group volunteers, event volunteers. And then I also run the internship program for our office. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I, in like day, day in, day out, just like a lot of sending emails to volunteers, communicating about upcoming opportunities, working with interns, making sure they're onboarded, uh, answering questions, working with the development team, as, as a volunteer quarter, I'm on the development team. And so we do all of our community engagement. So especially like coming up in the fall, we have a lot of busy events. So a lot of like event planning, um, partner engagement. I do a lot of tabling events, um, come to the University of Utah to present a lot. Yeah. Uh, just trying to get people engaged in our work as, as much as possible. Yeah, totally. Well, so you mentioned your uh, U alumni. Yeah. What would you, do you have any advice to students in general about you know, what to do after graduation. You know, you said you kind of took a gap year and kind of went from there. But when you're trying to find inspiration of where to go next, Mm -hmm. do you have any advice there? Um, Not, I guess I was just pretty ready to be done with school when I graduated. And I was like pretty excited to be done and wanted to go somewhere new is what I really wanted to do and see um, like, just see how the how it would be going somewhere new where I didn't know anyone. I kept telling friends, like, I don't know if I can make new friends at this point in time because I've been hanging out with the same people for four years. Yeah. And so um, I think doing something pretty fun right after school was great for me because I made a lot of great friends, great connections, went to a completely new place. Like, I went up to Alaska and worked oh, is what cool. I did. Yeah, and so that's awesome. That was just a blast. And I think it just helped me, um, like, prepare myself for a more serious job. I didn't want to take like the first serious job right outside of school and so i think going having fun um working a seasonal job was a really great opportunity because then it allowed gave me time to like think about what i really wanted to do next i wasn't pressured i was just like all right i'm gonna give myself some time think about what fits and then didn't i was applying for other jobs but then like when this one popped up i was like oh sweet that would be like an awesome fit yeah um and so it allowed me to really get like my first office job professional job whatever i would call this yeah um was like a really good fit so yeah it was cool. nice i didn't have to i didn't end up in a not good situation right away well and i think we touched on you know the the really important work the irc does so to relate this to students like 
how, what are some of the ways that students here can get involved, mm-hmm. would you say? And, you know, why, how can we get more people at the U to hear about the IRC and to be connected with the IRC? Yeah, so, I mean, we do a lot of different, we have like 20 different programs that we offer to our clients. Yeah. I'd say about half of those programs um, work with volunteers in one way or another. So we have yeah. a ton of volunteer opportunities that are available. Uh, we do spring, summer, fall internships with uh, also all of those 20 programs. So we have, we just closed for the fall, but we had, I believe, 18 different internship positions open oh, awesome. yeah. for the fall semester. And so those are ways for people to, you know, get involved and work directly with our clients, with our programs. If there's people looking for like less commitment, right? Those are those are signed at kind of some committing volunteer programs, right? Um, and internships, we do have one-time events that happen. I actually have flyers to give to you, so yeah, we awesome. Can, um, pass them out or hang them up yes. in the library, or something, and we can but... put some sh- notes on our show okay, too. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think the most important part is just getting involved with the IRC or just knowing and sharing information about the work that we do because it really just creates a more inclusive environment. The more people that know about the, the services we provide and the people that are arriving. And I think that is probably one a challenge that, that clients face when they enter to Utah, which is, you know, an incredibly, uh, for the most part, a very homogenous state. Yeah, with, right. Um, you know, not a ton of diversity is just people being really welcoming, being very accepting, um, even if people, you know, look different. Yeah. And so I think in just getting, yeah, getting involved and helping those people out, making sure they know they're welcome, um, and then, you know, sharing information like per people's any resources that they have to connect clients with, you know, if they know of programs at the, IRC, at the University of Utah or anything like that to connect to. But I think really just making sure it's like a welcoming environment in Utah yeah. is something that not just students can do, but like everyone across yeah. the state can do. And oh, I think we 100%. do a good job of, but, you know, there's always room for improvement. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And I think that. You know, I mean, so we're launching a new podcast um, under our stories um, that's called International Student Stories. Mm -hmm. So I think we're trying to pivot to create a more welcoming, you know, environment for international students in general. But I also know specifically people who are have refugee status. There's a lot here at the U, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more important. It's as important as ever, really, to get, you know, to a more and more welcoming and inclusive environment here at the U and. And so, yeah, I love to see it. Um, I hope more students do internships. I think that would yeah. be awesome to see. Um, are there any, like, volunteer opportunities in particular coming up soon, too, even yeah. if it's, like, a day-long kind of volunteer yeah. thing? So we have um, beginning of October, which is – so I, I don't know if it's y'all's fall break, but October 7th we're having a food festival, which is really awesome. Um, cool. You talked about the, the Cafe Mamai that's on campus. There's going to be – 13 different entrepreneurs that were helped oh, um, yeah. that have been assisted by the Spice Kitchen Incubator. They are all going to be selling like bite-sized portions. So it's it's designed for you to come and try a bunch of different foods from all across the world. Yeah. Um, that's on October 7th at on 200 South between uh, Washington Square Park and the library. So oh, right yeah, there cool. um, downtown. And so that'll be awesome. It's free to enter. Um, and then food should be pretty, I think it's going to be between between like two and five dollars per 
portion. And so you can try a ton of different food. There's going to be people from South America, the Middle East, Asia, Europe, Africa, yeah. you know, all over the yeah, place. Yeah, super diverse. I love yeah. that. Awesome. So that's an op- we have opportunities to volunteer there. But even if you don't want to volunteer, um, just a great place to come down. You know, it's right off tracks. Take yeah. tracks down and come try some, like, really delicious food. Yeah, awesome. And then right promptly after that on October 10th and 11th, we have our winter clothing drive, which is a really mm. big event we do. Yeah. So. We will collect winter clothing donations, new and like new winter clothing donations from the community. And then on the 10th and 11th, we kind of set up like a shop in the Greek Orthodox Church downtown. Right, And yeah. all of our clients who have all, all, all newly arrived folks from the last uh, eight months now since, since last winter, right? So spring, summer, and fall people just making sure they come in and grab winter clothes just in preparation for, you know, a Salt Lake City winter that yeah. a lot of these folks are not prepared for and they just right. haven't traveled with winter clothes. Um, and so making sure they get a jacket, uh, hoodies, boots, hats, gloves, scarves. So we're taking donations for that. And then we're also um, have a lot of volunteer opportunities for that event yeah. to help people shop. Make sure that, you know, they're getting a jacket for each member of their family and uh, helping us with, like, setup and takedown and all sorts of different volunteer opportunities. Cool. Is there anything else students should be aware of or even links that they can go to to learn more? Yeah. So, I mean, rescue.org slash SLC is the website for our Salt Lake City office. Um, Rescue.org slash volunteer SLC is all the volunteer opportunities. Um, So those are some links. And then... We do also, once you're on the volunteer page, you'll, you'll be able to find it, but we do our volunteer orientation every two weeks on Thursday nights from 5.30 to 6.30. So that's always the first step for volunteering is attending that orientation. It's just yeah. a kind of a broad overview of our organization at an international level in Salt Lake City and then specific expectations of volunteers and then the volunteer opportunities that are available. And so if you're interested in doing like a more pairing more of a paired internship with a client or yeah. more of a commitment than that I would encourage folks to attend um, Thursday nights at 5:30 and the link for that is on the volunteer SLC uh, webpage great and okay I do have to ask too yeah. if you've had any stories or experiences that have been particularly inspiring during your work at the IRC or any highlights of your job yeah um I think I mean, there's a lot, like a lot of the events. Last last year, the winter clothing drive, we were able to provide winter clothing to 471 individuals. Wow. Which was pretty incredible just seeing people come in and just knowing that like they're, you know, they're going to be set up for at least a more success yeah. with, with that in the, in the wintertime. Um, recently, I didn't meet these individuals, but there was um, uh, someone that was resettled that was 102 years old. That here is in Salt awesome. Lake. Um, so that was a pretty incredible story to yeah. hear that they, they got here. Um, and then there's there's been some really great work done at the IRC with like our immigration team and reunited fam- reuniting families that um, have been separated. Like there was a family that was separated during the evacuation in Afghanistan mm. and three of the children were back in Afghanistan for, I mean, I don't know what it's been now, two years. Yeah. Um, and through the work of the immigration team, they were able to get the kids out of Afghanistan to reunite them with their parents here in Salt Lake City. And so that was really, really incredible to see. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just, I mean, day in, day out, like cultural orientation is something we do every month. Um, And just like seeing newly arrived families and seeing a lot of people that are very, very happy to be here. um, It's pretty consistently um, uh, encouraging. Yeah. uh, 
great things going on. Really. Oh, that's great. Well, it sounds like there's just so much rewarding experience to be had at the IRC. And so I encourage all students to go, you know, look more into it at the links that, you know, you provided. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. Dylan. Absolutely. This is yeah, so thanks great. for having me. And I'll give you these flyers. I don't know. So there might be some flyers up in the library yes. for people to check out. So students, if you see flyers anywhere, then take them and, you know. Spread the word. Spread the word. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our interview about the International Rescue Committee. We're going to jump into the best panel uh, of all time, actually. Um, I'm joined here with Ben and Connor. You guys want to do a quick intro? Yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Ben, director of Our Stories here. Um, I'm a third year student majoring in games with a minor in Japanese. Um, and yeah. I'm Connor. I'm the publishing lead at Our Stories. Um, I'm majoring in communications uh, and minoring in arts, technology, and political science. Heck yeah. How would you guys say that the school year is going in, um, as opposed to other school years? Because we're all third years. Now we're about six weeks in. Has it been a good school year for y'all? Yeah, I feel like this school year has been one of the most, I guess, involving for me. I've yeah. been involved in a lot of things on campus, and I, I'm taking 20 credit hours that this is semester. A lot. So I'm that here. is a lot. I'm here very often. It's basically like I live here, even though I don't. But, yeah. You know, so. You commute from St. George every day, right? Too, just to add <laughs> on top of that. That's Sandy, Sandy. Not yeah, Sandy. no, that is far, though. Yeah, 20 is <laughs> a lot, dude. Um my first semester, I did like 19 and a half, and that was just like way too much yeah. for me personally, you know. But I don't know, Connor. What about you? How, how's the we're upperclassmen now? How does how does it feel? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm staying pretty involved. Uh, I've been historically pretty involved, but yeah, uh, now I'm doing Kate Radio, yes. Club, our stories. Oh yeah, dude. Um, and and getting some some internships in. Gonna get some service. Hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully I can show up to some of those. Um, events that uh were mentioned in the interview. yes totally yeah we all gotta go um in the show i'll put in the show notes the the events and where and when those will be at because i think it'll be a great way for students just to get involved in the community and um that's awesome and then you mentioned bacon club would you remind me when and where like you know how students can get involved in that maybe yeah bacon club is every other friday um in the hper north uh foods lab sweet um, you can check out the Instagram, and that's where we announce meetings. Oh, heck yeah. Cool. So let's turn over to our refugees, because I think this is a topic that, you know, has been in discussions here with, um, you know, even regarding international students, right? We're having a podcast um, launch with Debbie, who we interviewed last year. Um, and so I think, if anything, broadening our horizons to you know, include both immigrants and also people, you know, refugees, um, people seeking refugee status. Um, I think it's really important for our university community, you know. So I'm curious if y'all have had um, experiences with refugees in the past, um, you know, or met or feel like there's, you know, a refugee. I don't know. Have you guys eaten at that Cafe Mamai place? I have. Where is it? It's a food truck, right? Um Right in the Union area, kind of right oh, where yeah. it's that one that parks, kind of on the south side. Yes, of the and it's yeah. the best one I think. Like they're all really good. Cup pops, mm. great, you know. And um, but yeah, Cafe Mamai is really good. And um, you know where else is really good is the Lawn the Thai place. That's right where I live. 
But anyways, the IRC helped them start up too, you know, so. Yeah. So I'm curious if you guys have had many experiences with refugees or international students. Yeah, I think I'm I'm an ambassador for the IS office. Yeah. Just down the hallway from here on the fourth floor of the union. Um, and they they deal with pretty much everything for like incoming international students, um, any issues they have with immigration, getting like visas and social security cards and everything like that. Um, so at the beginning of the semester, it was a really cool experience to get to kind of be there for the orientations and see what they get to do because myself having been an international student, like I've gone through orientations yeah. like that before. When and you went to Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, it was interesting to be on the other end of that and be like being the one kind of facilitating that and being the one giving advice to international students and but yeah it's like we did we did four orientations i think in one week and it was there was so many international students in every one um and i feel like um they're a pretty large population at the u but in relation to how big the university is they're they're a pretty small um percentage um so it's really cool that we have an entire office dedicated to helping them and yeah totally um, providing them resources yeah that's awesome i love that you've been so involved with that i think it would be really cool to see more of a push of um specifically refugees too you know i think that could be a cool addition to campus of maybe working with the irc or something but but i personally would like to get more involved with it's the i triple is I triple S, yeah. I triple I S S S. Because I know Debbie's <laughs> involved with it too, right? Yeah, so she's on like the International Student Council, I believe, and so and she kind of works in that office as well. Yeah, sweet. Um, so it's a lot of the times it is international students working in that office because you know they can relate to issues that international students might have. Um, totally. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, what do you guys feel like you learned about refugees? Yes, Connor, I also wanted to hear if, if you've had experiences with refugees and international students. Um, not so much with refugees, yeah. but definitely uh, international students. Um, I know a lot of students from the uh, the campus in South Korea that we have. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be kind of a lot of a uh, transfer between uh, the U of Eurasia campus and here. That's um, where Rachel, she was there, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Um, and especially in communications, uh, there's a big partnership with the communications department and the uh, U of U Asia campus. Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. They even did a, a, an, a summer internship for communications uh, majors where you could go and study at the, uh, the South Korea campus oh, um, cool. with some of the professors uh, from here. Um, so it seems like a pretty good opportunity. I think they, yeah. they might be doing that next year as well. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like the U, for the most part, does a really good job at creating a pretty international presence, you know, um, for the good mostly, I think, you know, like in terms of a South Korea campus, a Japanese campus, like it's it's a lot of provides a lot of cool opportunity f for students, you know. Yeah, um, through one interesting thing that I learned about the U of U Asia campus is that it's actually there's actually four different universities there. Oh, so there's. We have our building there, and then there's three other buildings for three different colleges. Okay, um, cool. From, I think they're all schools from America, but I can't, I'm not totally sure. Yeah, sick. Um, they also, like, through learning abroad, um, I mean, they, we have 
study abroad programs in like almost any country in the world that um, a lot of the times we have affiliate universities where we'll send like we send um, or they're like exchanges. Mm -hmm. Um, So we send students there and they send students here. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of our international students come from is through those exchanges. And then um, I specifically um, when I was doing the orientations, we had a lot of students from India who were coming to do like master's programs in, um, I think business and like engineering and stuff like that. So, um, it's interesting to see kind of the proportion of students from different countries, but totally. Oh, that's super cool. Well, so after listening to the interview guys, like what are the biggest things that you took away, you know, from the interview, um, about refugees or the international rescue committee, um, or ways that you'd like to get involved? Um, definitely something that stood out to me was kind of the uh, how the housing crisis and public transit uh, issues have faced uh, or have kind of, you know, perpetuated the issues with uh, yeah. refugees um, just because of the high cost of living. And, you know, if all the resources are downtown and all the housing is, you know, where it's more affordable. to and Like Bountiful or whatever he was saying. Yeah. yeah. So they have to live far away, but then it's harder for them to get here to where the resources are for them it's like totally especially when our our civilization's like designed for cars here and like that's true yeah really it's an extra step to you know get your license and get a car um when you're coming from another country and uh yeah yeah it's it's a big process that's one issue that's one issue that a lot of international students like that they kind of are vocal about is that like they can't get anywhere in Utah because they don't have a car and like tracks only goes so many places and like maybe they don't feel safe on the buses. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one, that's one thing that is like can be very different in other countries. Yeah, like, for sure. You go somewhere like Japan and you know, you don't, you don't need a car to get most places. Like you can, can go to all the sightseeing places by train. And, um, but here it's like, you come here, you don't have a car, you don't have a driver's license, so you're kind of kind of on your own in that regard. Yeah, it definitely benefits privilege in that sense, you know? Because even though there is public transport, that can take so much time, and it can even, it might not always go outside of Salt Lake too much, and it's mostly all in English, you know? Mm. Um, so that can be hard to navigate, too, for people that don't speak English, Um you know, and so, yeah, there's a lot of issues there with the housing crisis, too, you know. Um, but one thing I kind of wanted to shoot to as well, guys, is me and Dylan, um, we kind of talked a little bit about what he did, like, after graduating the U. Um, I didn't realize that he was a U alumni um, until we started talking about it. Um so I was kind of curious, like, since, you know, at the beginning of this panel, we were kind of talking about how we're, like, 30 years and stuff. Before we wrap this up, I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about what you guys are thinking of doing after you graduate. Um, yeah, for me, um, hoping to get my minor in Japanese and probably um, work in Japan as an assistant uh, English teacher for like oh, a year sweet. or so. That's awesome. Um yeah, like I had that um, that experience of living abroad and um, that, that international experience and taking Japanese classes. So um, 
it's kind of I'm kind of hoping that it'll be a way for me to continue my um, my kind of international uh, developing my international like mindset. I yeah, dude, hundred percent, dude. That, that's super sick. Um, I've become pretty interested in uh, in law, um, specifically yeah. public interest law, which uh, you know, relating to this podcast, fixing some of the infrastructure issues. Yes. With, uh, you know, um, employer rights violations, um, and public transit. Yes, um, dude. Really trying to promote policies that the majority of people are in favor of, like expanding public transit. Yeah. And just kind of lowering the financial barriers of entry that uh, would benefit, um, you know, people who are refugees coming here. Yeah, and, dude. Um, who just have a lot of, uh, you know, red tape to get through. Dude, I love it. Both of your answers, I think, like, re- weirdly related to this panel and episode, too, <laughs> which is super sick. But, like, dude, I'm super stoked to see where you guys end up going and the paths you go on. Um, and, well, and Connor, you've been a big advocate for public transport. Just times we've hung out and, like, you've kind of mentioned in Europe, it seems like there's a lot more of that where I live downtown and I love downtown. Like, uh, there's a lot in close proximity and, like, really awesome resources and, like, things to do. Um but even downtown, there's a lot of areas where it is more like you kind of should have a car. Like it's more car centric, you know? Yeah. Like because you've been you've been to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially in the, the big cities like yeah. London, like you can really get anywhere. Just get on Google Maps and, you know, take one or two uh, um, different lines on the underground and you can you can navigate pretty easily. Totally. And you can even go cross countries like. Yeah, Paris to France and like, or uh, that's in the same place. France to like Germany. Yeah, like, like the, all the European countries are all connected by these trains. Where in, yeah. in America, it's like, I mean, I think you can take a train to Canada, but it's probably really expensive and yeah, especially like I mean, we have the one, um, I forget what it's called, the one train that like runs across all of America, but it's like way expensive. Ameritrack is it? Amtrak. 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 Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did that. Uh, what did I do? I think I flew into Seattle and then I took that to Leavenworth, this like little German town, um, Bavarian town in, um, in Washington. But it's a really cool system. But yeah, I think the accessibility is not there, you know. So, so yeah, yeah, I'm excited. It only stops in like certain states too. Like some states are not yeah, connected. So that's, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad Salt Lake City exists as a place. I think it's a really welcoming place for refugees to kind of get back to kind of the main theme of, you know, um, of the episode. But but if you think about a lot of rural areas and stuff, like the U.S. isn't always the easiest place to navigate in general. Like, like I want to look at like the states that the Amtrak doesn't even touch because I've I've seen those maps before, you know. Um, Cool. Good stuff, guys. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, anything else that you want to say about just cool things going on on campus or um, any dying thoughts you need to get out to our listeners? I don't think so. Life is good. Yeah. That's my thought. Uh, Definitely go Utes. Definitely Uh, go Utes. We beat UCLA. um, So I think that we may have an opportunity to win the whole thing this year, (laughs) which would be even if we win the Pac-12 championship. That would be sick because then that would make us the all-time best Pac-12 team because it's dissolving at the end of this year. The last Pac-12 champions. Yes, dude. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, awesome. Um, 
thank you guys for coming on the panel, and uh, I'm excited for next week. All right, go public transit. All right, awesome. Thanks, See guys. See you later. See ya. Thank you for listening to Long Story Short, an Our Stories production. Stay tuned for more insightful and potentially life-changing interviews. Cheers. <laughs>